Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. What about a, a funny or odd story from working in the industry? Uh, this whole industry is odd. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, do. above. Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the game developers podcast. Your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me. It's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call, 224-484-7733, or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Hey, everybody. I've got Edwin McRae on today's show. How you doing, Edwin? Oh, hi. Good, thanks, John. How are you? Good, good. So, yeah, let's kick things off here. Like, what's your current role as a designer right now? So, I'm a, a freelance narrative designer, and also I do some education work as well. And I work for a whole range of different companies doing various stages of narrative design, right from mm-hmm. the early stuff like world building and helping indies develop their game concept and how it's going to fit into a fictional world, the sort of story they might want and how they might go about telling it right through to being pulled on at the end of a process and um, doing a pass on dialogue and quest design and, and things like that. So yeah, I kind of do a bit of everything on the story front and narrative design is a weird role because it kind of also involves a bit of UX design. Mm-hmm and a bit of game design as well, which I've tended to yeah. pick up along the way. Great. But um, yeah, so, yeah, as a as a freelancer, I'm currently working, I'm just adding up my little list here, two, four, six, eight different clients I've got on the go at the moment, which is that's great. pretty usual. That's great. Yeah. It's, that's everything from flavor text from a card game through to developing educational u- units for game design in high school. So hmm. yeah, yeah, a real mixture. Yeah, and you're based in New Zealand, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And a little place called Oamaru, which is down on the South Island of New Zealand, just a little bit north of, uh, or the closest big city is Dunedin. Wow. And how long have you been there? Oh, here probably about, or oh, not that long, actually, probably off and on, mm-hmm. about six months. But um, okay. yeah, my partner and I move around a lot. We've been house and pet sitting at the same time. So hence wow. being freelance, being able to do everything uh, remotely, it's been brilliant. Yeah. You know, laptop and internet connection, that's basically all you need. So then you can kind of bounce around and do the house sitting and then you got your computer going, you can do your design work and, and upload stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been really good. Where are your clients based? Are they kind of like North America, Europe, combination all over the place? Yeah. Again, a whole mixture. Yeah. I've worked with clients in the US, Europe. There's been, oh, actually at the moment, there's 
a client in Poland. There's a client in Denmark. I did work with, oh, the game, uh, <laughs> Lost Ember. That's it. Yeah. That was, that was based in Germany. But I do work a lot with the, the local Kiwi devs as well. Mm. So because I, I started with um, Path of Exile, that was my first big gig, and that was here in New Zealand and in Auckland. But yeah, no, since then it's it's been a real real mix. That's cool. So how did you get started in the game industry? Well, it was I mean partly by meeting the the Path of Exile guys mm-hmm. at some um, game dev meetups in in Auckland. Okay. I was working in TV at the time. I was a storyliner script writer for New Zealand's kind of most watched soap opera actually <laughs> really so you're writing soap operas in new zealand yeah yeah wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah we have a very much loved soap opera that's been going since oh, days of our lives new zealand style or that's interesting yeah exactly exactly although yeah it's a hospital drama huh. so uh yeah it's been going since 1992 i think 93 thereabouts wow. yeah so i was working for them but i was kind of coming to the end of my sort of used by date for soap opera. I was, um, I was looking for some fresh challenges and I said to myself, I was like, I'm going to keep working on TV, but when I retire, I'm going to play a lot of games. And I thought, well, why am I waiting? Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's a games industry, so which was only just starting in New Zealand at the time. What time was that? Let's see, TV from 2006, seven, roughly through to 2011. And it was 2011 that I really made the jump over. Okay to games and at that point yeah there weren't a lot of game developers in New Zealand as you can imagine mm-hmm. it was pretty young the Auckland game dev community I think there's about 30 of us would turn up each month uh-huh. now it's 300 at least really? and growing it's, yeah and there's wow. game dev meetups and communities right across the country so it's yeah it's just really taken off that's great and you know less than a decade you've 10x it so no that's cool so what do you wish you had known when you'd started like you, you got in this journey about nine years ago, right? And, um... Yeah, well, I, um, I'd i actually wish I'd known a lot more about game design because, I mean, I went in as a writer and a script writer. So I'd been a, a gamer my whole life, but I hadn't really broken down the mechanics and analyzed it from that side of things. Right. And I soon realized as a writer that I needed to work all that stuff out really quickly so that, I could actually fit the story properly to the games mm-hmm. and wasn't just kind of, you know, doing a patch job and adding the story in on top, you know, right after everything else had been put in place. Right. I mean, I did look around for, I guess, game design stuff to learn at the time, but there was, there was nothing going in New Zealand that would have required heading overseas to study. And fortunately with Path of Exile and, and the early games that I worked with, I was able to learn on the job and kind of, pick up what I needed as I went. Mm-hmm. I've heard of Path of Exile. Like, how big was that team? Oh, when I joined it, it was only about a dozen. Now it's 120 or more, I think. Yeah, because they had about 20 million odd players and then not long after were oh. um, bought by the big Chinese publisher Tencent. Ah, Tencent. Yeah, Tencent buys yeah, everybody so- at some point, yeah. Yeah, but the guys are all still working there and I I don't know quite how that all works out, but you know, it's still going strong, but yeah, it was just really starting out at that point. And um, Hmm. when I arrived on the team, they had one act built and we were just heading into developing the second act. So yeah, it's really early days. Okay. Platforms. Was it, was it PC? Was it console? Was it both? Yeah, it was, it was PC initially. Mm -hmm. 
and then quite some time later it went to xbox and i think last time i heard rumor had it there was even a mobile version of path of exile now but okay that maybe i'm imagining that i'm sure i saw that somewhere it makes sense if it's popular enough they'll figure out a way to port it and make it work yeah yeah exactly and i still got heaps of players so um yeah but it was yeah no very much pc because it was following the footsteps of uh diablo 2 okay and and you know following those good hardcore rpg Mm. or arpg principles um which is an interesting genre to write for because um yeah in fact i'm really glad i got a got a gig like that first because it taught me to kind of get out of the way of the game mechanics Mm -hmm. and fit the story in around it where where i can right and that's actually stood me in really good stead yeah that makes sense like let the writing serve the game mechanics and not make the the writing overbearing and uh, slowing down or impacting the game mechanics right where you're like all right enough already with a cutscene. i want to i want to get back and play (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah i'm sorry it's always my problem with assassin's creed and and witcher too actually i just find those conversations to stop but that's just me yeah they are long yeah with that kind of game it it's also about yeah not not just the kind of like i I call it actually creating more of a story experience than Mm -hmm. telling a story because what you're doing is you're you're laying out the story and all sorts of things like flavor text on weapons short snippets of boss dialogue you're helping with the environmental design to feed story into that like you know what civilization was there before so Mm -hmm. how's the place going to look and what secrets are there to uncover yeah why was it built and who's this um crazy disembodied emperor (laughs) who's talking to me that kind of thing yeah you know so it's almost more like creating a like a haunted train ride for a sideshow rather Mm -hmm. than writing a movie yeah and it's the voice right so it um creates this world and it and it creates this lexicon and you're kind of immersed in it and you want to make sure all the pieces fit together and it makes sense so that you don't um jar the player where they come up on a pop-up box and say to themselves what the hell is that right you know it's like you yeah. want to make sure it's all consistent and it has that that voice yeah exactly and i think that's where the kind of the user experience design comes in because you're constantly working to enhance immersion mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. Not have any of those moments where the players jarred out of their out of that world. Right. And, Suspension of disbelief, uh, right? You you got to keep them in there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Don't break the fourth wall. That's the that's <laughs> the general rule. Right. You've been in the industry about nine years now. Like, what kind of advice would you give someone looking to get their first job? With narrative design, for a start, I mean, you've got to be a a, a decent writer. That that's yeah. A, that's a you know a, a no brainer. But right. the, I would say the next part is when you're creating samples, really look at showing potential devs that, you know, potential employers that you can do interactive, that you understand how interactive works and that you do know how to make the story serve the mechanics and not the way, the other way around. Yeah. And, and for me, a really interesting field is um, interactive fiction in that, mm-hmm. in that case, because you can actually, you can tell a story, but you can also show how, you are thinking about the player and how the player can experience a story and change what happens and mm-hmm. how your story needs to respond to what the player does and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's like any way you can think of to try and show that you understand that player is interacting with your story and, and that you can handle, handle that and make it a, a cool experience for you. Any examples coming to mind of those kind of games just jump out at you, you know, like you're, Hey, if you're a narrative designer, check this game out. This is a, you know pinnacle or, or like yeah. a great example 
Yeah, definitely. Like you can't go far past 80 days by ankle. Mm-hmm. Just the way the mechanics work with how the, the text is generated and the, the characters respond to the different places you travel to, the different decisions you make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. So yeah, I think it's a, it's one of the, still one of the standout pieces of narrative design I've, I've come across. Cool. What about advice for someone trying to like say advance their career? They're already a designer, particularly like say a narrative designer and they're, they want to go to that next stage. Yeah. Well, for me, it's like the games industry is always changing as far as there are new possibilities mm-hmm. all the time as the technology gets better, as people understand people's understanding of how games gets better. There are so many kind of different challenges that arise. And for me, the most recent one has been procedural generation Yeah, and how you go about telling a story or, or rather creating a story experience with when the whole environment is changing and shifting <laughs> around in response to the player. Yeah. Like, so that, that's been really interesting and, and discover, it's satisfying in that it can be done and it can be done in a really satisfying way, but mm-hmm. it kind of takes a whole new mindset to do it. And yeah, I think that's, that's the advice I would give is if you see technology like that coming along is don't be afraid of it just lean into it and yeah. try and understand it, it. and it's mm-hmm. amazing yeah what, what opportunities arise from that so in terms of your projects what's been your favorite one or two projects to work on yeah that was a tough one to pick from it's a good problem to have right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no there have been so many cool projects i've been lucky in that regard i would say Again, this is an interactive fiction one. I think most rewarding and in some ways most challenging one has been Guardian Maya, which I created with Meteor Interactive here in New Zealand with uh, Maru Neho Neho is the, the head of Meteor. Okay. And her team. And it's basically, it's, um, it's a text adventure where a Maori warrior woman has a quite large scale adventure through a, a fantastical New Zealand yeah, sort of an ancient New Zealand. I can't talk too much about it because I'll start, we'll start giving away spoilers. Oh yeah, but, right, fair enough. But what was fantastic for me was delving into Māori tikanga, which is, you know, a tradition and, and legends and, and the stories, that, you know, the ancient Māori stories. Mm-hmm. Then also, yeah, creating a, a really responsive narrative, one so that the player, a reader, feels like the story is adjusting and the choices do have consequences right. and they're meaningful choices and that whole challenge. And, and part of that actually was learning Inkscript too, which hmm. is the scripting language, which was also used to create 80 days. Okay. Yeah. Was sort of when we started talking about a project like that, I immediately thought, Oh, what was 80 days made with right. Inkscript? And What's it called? You said Inkscript? Oh, Ink. Yeah. I-N-K. I-N-K script. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a scripting language that Inkle have actually just shared out as are open source so you can uh-huh. you can download it for free use it make what you like with it it's really cool Cool, yeah i'll have to put that in the show notes the other project that has been a, a really satisfying to create is project haven with uh, foresight games and, and they're a two-person band in portugal hmm. creating this amazing cyberpunk squad tactics game cool yeah and so just helping them build a cyberpunk world and the characters and and everything there and because we're also going for pretty kind of gritty cyberpunk stuff i was able to really get really creative with swearing <laughs> and because it's you know it's all mercs hassling each other and uh-huh. reacting gangsters and all that kind of thing so yeah a lot of swearing it's great that's great, great. it's 
this podcast is E, so fucking A, that's good. <laughs> so I'm curious too. I mean, you're in New Zealand, you have these clients all over the world. Like, how do you link up, find new clients? I mean, it's pretty cool, the little. Yeah, thanks. It's actually been a kind of pretty old fashioned way of, mm-hmm. of just having a, a good solid website that people can, I guess, find me on. Okay. And, um, and part of that is I've also tried to, I guess, you know, keep that active with blog posts about narrative design and kind of keep the discussion about narrative design going mm-hmm. so that Google, you know, if you Google narrative design, then hopefully I'll pop up. And that, that's been actually really useful. Okay. A little, little SEO. That's smart. That's good. Yep. <laughs> yep. And um, aside from that, I mean, with, with New Zealand, it's just keeping involved in the community that you with overseas clients. Oh, LinkedIn is another one. I just make sure I keep my LinkedIn profile updated. And, yeah, that's smart. And things happening there. And, and um, yeah, people have co- contacted me through through there as well. So that's probably the main two would be my website, LinkedIn. Yeah, that's great. Oh, I wrote a book too, Narrative Design yeah. for Indies. So I think that's, that's helped kind of get people aware of me too. Cool. And um, it's out right now and it's in all the stores and Amazon and all those kind of things? Yep, yep, it's all over the place, and and my partner and I are just working on getting another one done. Which working title narrative design for writers, so that that should be coming out in March. Great. So in terms of the game industry, like, what are you curious about right now? Yeah, well, for for me, I think yeah, the oh, interactive fiction mm-hmm. is still really interesting to me because I mean it's a kind of a, a best of both worlds for a narrative designer because I guess still be a more of a traditional storyteller in some ways, but you've got the cool fun of game mechanics and responsiveness underneath. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's a really, yeah, it's a good sweet spot. And the whole interactive fiction scene has really exploded over the last about five years as well. Cool. A lot more, so, you know, game books and all sorts of things coming out. So that's, yeah, that's a really interesting space Mm -hmm. and really helped with mobile. I mean, it's a real... I think it's a mobile first medium, that particular one. Yeah. Because it's about, you know, pe- people wanting a kind of a reading mm-hmm. semi-play experience, which isn't so compatible to to console or PC, right, I don't think. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to think of that old um, text-based game. I think it was called Drug Wars. Fake? Oh, I heard yeah. about it. I don't think I played it. Yeah. It, it, and it was like, just to date myself, I think I was playing it on a um, Palm Pilot or something like that. But it, it was text-based and come up mm-hmm. to different situations and you'd be asked these different questions and how you respond and um, interesting content. <laughs> yeah, I played a lot of the Infocom games. Right, like right. Um, Those are classics. Hitchhiker's guide and leather goddesses of phobos and all that sort of thing which i probably shouldn't have been playing as a kid but i did (laughs) (laughs) what's cool now though is the technology is so so much more advanced you know you've got scripting languages that then speak to unity Mm -hmm. and and things like that that you can create really yeah really sophisticated stuff and and what i'm looking into and i've seen in games like king of dragon pass and i'm playing one at the moment called knocked which is about robin hood is Hmm like almost town creating town builders with just text oh a dark room that was one of my favorite games dark room. Ever. yeah yeah i played it yeah oh it's a text-based clicker kind of town builder with some adventuring elements to it and it's all done in text and ascii wow it's yeah uh, but it was just really compelling mm-hmm. so yeah i think there's a lot of cool things happening in that space cool hey hope you're enjoying the show if you are please go to patreon.com backslash game 
dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks. You mentioned Unity. So like in terms of like your clients and the work you do, are they mostly Unity based or Unreal or or lead one towards the other? I'm, I'm a, I would guess Unity, but I'm just guessing here. So probably more Unreal than Unity. Okay. But I mean, that's, oh, that's pretty anecdotal. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <I'm not. laughs> one data point. Yeah, couldn't give you any hard facts on that one. That's fine. I mean, for instance, we used Unity for Guardian Maya because Ink, like an interface with Unity, mm-hmm. so that made it nice and easy. Yeah, no, I, okay. I don't know where, yeah. yeah. In the indie space, I don't know what's happening with the turf war between Unreal and Unity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a two-horse race now, and those two are fighting it out for sure. Yeah, although I've heard of other engines like, is it Godot? Godot? I'm not sure about that one. That no. People have started talking about. Huh. It's quite cool, uh, also working in the indie space, that you encounter all sorts of other engines that people have just created. Like, for instance, one of my... One of the crews I work with is GameFruit, and they've created their own 2D platformer kind of drag and drop with some kind of coding mm-hmm. element. This platform that kids can use and amateur game devs can get in and create prototypes on. Huh. So you kind of you kind of learn to work with whatever's coming. Are they uh, run by engineers? I take it. A mixture of engineers and designers. Okay. Yeah. Engineers love to write their own engines. That's why I was just kind of. Uh extrapolating out there yeah. like why use an engine we can write our own it's like uh, yeah it's not like it was 20 years ago you got to roll your own all the time there's there's a lot of stuff you can use off the shelf and just customize a bit but exactly i don't want to go out and have to build a car every time i want to go to the yeah. grocery store well, right right <laughs> it's 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 a little overkill so what about like potential threats you see to the industry like what concerns you and conversely like what about opportunities I'll start with the negative side of things that I'm seeing is is that I think there's a couple of things going on. Mm -hmm. Toxic gamer culture is potentially giving us a bit of a bad rap in some spheres of society. But I do know that, you know, some of the big outfits like League of Legends and such are actually working really hard to combat that. Yeah hiring psych teams and all sorts of things. So, mm-hmm. but I think that is, that that's, I think that's an ongoing issue we need to keep aware of. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was interesting, I, I went to a, a UX talk with Celia Hodent, Hodon. Mm-hmm. So she's X, X Fortnite Epic. Okay. She was making an interesting point about engagement tactics, like um, everything from, you know, loot boxes through to mm. various engagements and strategies to keep us playing Long, spending long hours playing games. Right. My big concern is I think there's going to be a bit of a backlash against as far as you know, parents particularly being concerned about their kids spending so long playing certain games. Mm-hmm. And she was making the point of, you know, we're rewarding engagement, but not putting in other things like rewarding things like have a break, you know, oh, right. rewarding a bit of balance and that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah I think that's, that's a, I think the, the games industry is maybe making its own problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and trying to engage players in that way. Right. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future with that. Yeah. And, and you know, loot boxes are under fire for a while now. And there are, uh, how do I say, the shady things that go under the hood, you know, with figuring out ways to push people buttons and get them with, mm. with dopamine and maybe compulsion inabilities to control. And, you know, it's just all kinds of things. So yeah, I think we just we, we shouldn't exploit people and smarter about this as as an industry. Um, yeah, exactly. If we're, if we're going to be sustainable, 
So what about like AR, VR, mixed reality, all these other kind of technologies that are out there? What are your thoughts on those? I think VR is really interesting. But before I talk about VR, I'll, I'll just lay a quick note about AR is I personally find augmented reality just downright scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's, I don't know, maybe I'm being too old school about it, being a curmudgeonly Gen Xer, <laughs> but, you know, I like a good clear cut break between my games and my real world. Right. And Silo, me, firewall those two, you're saying. Right. Totally, totally. Yeah. If I'm going to go for a walk outside, I'm going to go for a walk outside. I don't want to hold up my phone and see dragons and whatever, zombie attacks or anything like that. Right. So that's just, that's just my personal thing is yeah, um, I really fair. like the, yeah, that clear cut difference between I'm playing a game, I'm living in the real world. Mm -hmm. And I think VR does that because it's so immersive and so, I guess, an amazing all senses, well, not all senses yet, but you know what I mean. Right, it's right. an amazing experience. Yeah, you're stepping in that world, you're, you're, you're putting the goggles on and the earbuds and, and, and it's like, all right, this is, I'm clearly going into this other space versus walking around and, you know, using your phone for AR and um, trying to blur those two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Actually, I think that's just tying back to what I think the opportunities are for the games industry plus VR mm -hmm. is that we're also gathering so much awesome data on player behavior that, you know, I think you can now healthily approach VR like you can have an incredibly immersive VR experience, but also have all of the right tools in place to make that sort of sustainable. So someone's in there for half an hour, an hour, and then they have to take a break, right. get back to the world, readjust. Yeah. It kind of forces you, right? I mean, between wearing all the, the gear and potential for dizziness and frame rate and all that kind of stuff, you can't do VR for five hours unless you're a little bit of a maniac. No. Unless you're a maniac. Not I yet. I don't know. Once they fix those problems, then there's the same potential. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, for, for doing a, you know, a 12 hour mission as there is with, um, VR loot boxes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, I think that combination of what we're learning about our own brains as gamers, and then with, it's just at the right time for, for the incoming of, of, um, VR experiences. So we can actually do it, you know, in a really good way. Yeah. That's cool. What about a, a funny or odd story from working in the industry? Uh, this whole industry is odd. It's, <laughs> You're like, it's yes, yes, do. above. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, one general fact is that I think I've, I've actually I've lost, I've lost count of the amount of post-apocalyptic worlds <laughs> I've now designed. I don't know what it is with game designers right. wanting to destroy the worlds. That, <laughs> that's the go-to, I mean, post-apocalyptic. Yeah, exactly. I've destroyed the world so many times. Right. It's just it's crazy. <laughs> But, um, and then, then, oh, other, like, I just, oh, if you want, I, I still find kind of funny is when I started early on with Path of Exile, this, this is no, you know, disrespect to the guys. They've made an amazing game. Sure. It was just early days. And it's one of those things that's, it's a narrative jo designer's job to point this out. Right. Is like, act one, blah, blah, blah post-apocalyptic beach. Okay. Right. And you're fighting humans and zombies and the humans are standing right beside the zombies but the zombies only seem to want to eat me and not the easier lunch right beside them. And it's kind of like, it's stuff like that that comes up that is a constant source of amusement to me. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's things where gameplay, I totally understand why it works on a gameplay side, 
you know, good mix of mobs in an area. Yeah. But um, narrative. It's why they not want to eat other. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's those funny times when mechanics do get out of hand and um, break that fourth wall. I think that's mm-hmm. that's where uh, yeah, crazy stuff happens. Just to riff on that, like the difference between say television and and gaming. Like, where do you see those differences or funny stories or anything like that? Or oh, differences between TV and gaming? Yeah. Wow. I think. I mean, it's. It's been amazing to see how good TV has got lately. And I do find that, I mean, it's not, not so much funny, but I, I find it interesting that I do actually draw on the television I watch a lot for inspiration for the narrative design I then do for games. Hmm. Because, especially TV, because it, like, you know, shows like Game of Thrones, they set out so many different characters and build such a rich world and they can do it right. because TV has... Yeah, a good TV show will have seven or eight seasons mm-hmm. rather than a movie that only has like two hours to establish everything. Right. Which makes TV actually really similar to games in that regard because, you know, seven seasons, seven, eight seasons, 50 hours of gameplay. Mm-hmm. There's a real kind of um, Parallels here. commonality there. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, world design, character design, and TV is just is a really rich source of learning for, for narrative design. What about a game that you're playing right now that you're excited about or? What did I put down for this? I put down, oh yeah, I discovered an old school one. Mm-hmm. And it, this is, I was looking for something because I'm researching for for one of my clients, but um, Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light. Have you played that? I'm not sure about the, the Guardian of Light. I, I mean, I remember playing the original back in the 90s on PC and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, same here. But no, this, this one is a isometric action adventure. Really? With... Lara Croft in an Aztec setting, uh, going through Aztec tombs. Huh. Yeah, they're, and they're beautifully rendered. And um, interesting. Yeah, and with very light mm-hmm. RPG mechanics. But it just takes me right back to the sort of fun games that I was playing, even on back on my old Atari 600XL. Mm-hmm. It's got got that nice sort of platformer, puzzly, actiony feel. Right. Who published it, and it, when did it come out? Uh, it was 2011. I'm not sure who published it. Yeah, but 2011, yeah, probably Crystal Dynamics or something like that, huh? Yeah, but uh, look that up. Yeah, it's it's been yeah, it's been such a gem, (laughs) an old dusty gem. Right. In another older game, which I've this is the one game I've probably spent the most hours playing, and recently finished it was Mad Max Fury Road. Hmm. Something about that game, the combination of I think car development and the post-apocalyptic world right uh, the cool oh i love the i love that the the rpg development of max was actually done in this kind of spiritual way where you Hmm. met this crazy shaman out in the um, wasteland and he would unlock dark secrets within you and that would correlate to you being able to hit war boys harder really Uh, i love it yeah (laughs) wow i've never played that i'll have to check that out that's that sounds interesting something about it and it's something i still just will pop in and I'll just drive through the wasteland for a bit mm-hmm. just because I find it relaxing. So yeah. <laughs> Run over some shit. And like, yeah. Yeah. And play some, play some things up, you know, right. right. A little cathartic explosions yeah. here and there. Yeah. Yeah. So I know two, two older games, but yeah, yeah. and I just, uh, that's cool. still my current favorites. Mm-hmm. What about anything I should have asked you about, but didn't? <laughs> that's a tough one. Right. We've covered a lot, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. No, definitely have. I think I'll probably just just quickly sort of recap on the like the if if you're thinking about getting into narrative design and especially if you're a writer who's mm-hmm. used to writing linear material 
really yeah put that user experience hat on learn about user experience right actually and so you get in the mindset of who is this player what are they going to do and how am i going to provide a a story experience for them which which often means throwing any ideas of plot out the window Mm -hmm. like this happened this happens and this happens and then there'll be this awesome climax it's like ah you just can't do that stuff because players are going to do what they're going to do and just i guess putting yourself in the issues like you've entered this world that you've helped design and then what would you want to do in there and Mm -hmm. you know trying to basically trying just trying to get into players heads and work out you know what's going to be the best experience for them in a game as opposed to like what story am i trying to tell here i think that's the big difference yeah yeah and and just riffing on that too thinking like what about usability testing and things like that have you been involved with that have you seen that what are your thoughts on that yeah like um the sort of the the play testing end of things yeah that is also kind of part of my role is, is kind of coming in at the end and playing through and to check that the whole story side of things is working mm-hmm. and that there aren't any jarring moments and then also listening to player feedback on that about moments where yeah things haven't felt right for them or they've they've noticed um things that i haven't because i mean right. you get so close to a, a narrative design for a game that you're bound to miss stuff yeah, you get blinders on you know yeah yeah, totally. Yeah. But, so, but how do you get that feedback? Is it from like uh, an open beta and and people are posting or is it the traditional focus tests, sit behind the one-way mirror and all that kind of stuff? Usually from open beta. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like we're, we're going through beta testing for the second Guardian Maya episode now mm-hmm. and just hearing back from people about, you know, things that they've encountered that they found confusing or yeah. challenge, too challenging or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, with, I mean, online games are great to work with because you're getting constant feedback because it's live all the time right. through comments and Reddit forums mm-hmm. and all sorts of things. You end up hearing how people are going, what problems they're having, and, and you get a chance to fix them, which yeah. when you're, I guess when you're making a, you know, a console game, which is just going to ship and there aren't going to be any updates. Yeah. I guess you have to be more thorough with your actual player testing. And I guess that's the more the focus group kind of thing, but I haven't really been involved in much of that. It's been mostly, yeah. Beta. Beta, yeah. Back in the console pre online days, I used to go to some of those focus tests and they're always kind of entertaining because you would, you'd have the one way mirror and you're behind there and the moderator would be up there and, there was politics involved and people wanted to hear certain things and depending on the game yeah. and the, the demographics they'd have, especially younger, they have the kids all wired on candy. And then like, you know, did you like the game? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I loved it. Can I have more candy? You know, it's like, well, is this really accurate? You just got the kids all strung out on, uh, on, on candy. But um, yeah, it was, those things are always kind of funny, especially the, the alpha person that would just kind of take over and try and sway everybody. And you're just kind of sitting there behind that room eating pizza, drinking, drinking beer, laughing, watching these things going, okay. <laughs> yeah, it turns into a social psych zoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, was kind of like a circus. You're just like watching this going, don't yeah. listen to that kid. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Whereas, uh, what's, what's quite cool, well, cool and scary at the same time, scary cool, mm-hmm. is, you know, once again, when you're dealing with, uh, say, MMOs, big online games, mobile games, the players actually give all of their, you know, all of their feedback as they're playing, like just the things that they do. Oh, okay. You know, you're, you're learning from that and, and making a better game for it. 
just through through that so mm. which is yeah like i said it's scary cool because as a gamer you depending on the game you you're playing you are being watched all the time right and hopefully it's just to make a better game yeah right. fingers crossed right right <laughs> nothing more nefarious than that but who knows yeah so where can people find you online you know website you mentioned twitter your book things like that yeah, well, uh, there's my website, which is www.edmcrae.com. Mm-hmm. That's E-D-M-C-R-A-E. Okay. Facebook is Edwin McRae Author. Okay. And then, you know, if, if people want to hear more from me, I do have a, a fortnightly newsletter that I put out, which is a mixture of writing stuff and game design thoughts cool. and, and observations I've had. So, yeah, welcome to sign up to that. Yeah. And, Sign up on the website, basically? Yeah, just sign up on the website. But if failing all that, just Google Edwin McRae. It's a relatively rare name, which is cool. So mm-hmm. you should be able to find me. Yeah, you and me both. Except yours is easier <laughs> to pronounce. Um, exactly. How, how do you pronounce your last name? Pod- Podlasic. 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 Yeah, cool. it's been said about 9,000 different ways growing up. But yeah, it, it's a little, <laughs> little bit of a tongue twister when you look at it um, without hearing it. But yeah, Podlasic. Yeah, hence you go by JP. Yeah, it's I started good. going by JPF a while ago. I was like, yeah, maybe that's just easier. People can can't stumble on those two two letters. Yeah. Well, cool. This has been great, uh, Edwin. I really appreciate it, and you've had some great information here. Mm, oh, thanks, thanks. And I just had uh, it was one more thought. It just occurred to me was sure. um, as far as the, like the games industry goes, it's like it feels like there's never been a better time to be in it. Like it's just mm-hmm. especially here in New Zealand, it's grown so much over the last ten years that. There's just so much going on in the in the game space now that just wasn't there back in even 2011. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. yeah. I feel very lucky to be in such a vibrant industry. Yeah, and, and you know, with technology and all the different platforms and um, engines that make it easier, it, it is kind of a it's a very robust time to be in the industry compared to what I saw when I got yeah. in and stuff. So it is cool, and I I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely, and especially the, the tools around that we're if you want to be an indie and you can make something and get it out there and mm-hmm. and um yeah it's just like it's never been like that before so yeah it's very cool definitely well cool well thank you and um i'll be in touch just before we wrap up i was wanting to ask like so what what's um you're working on in the games industry at the moment like where, where are you at yeah i'm at a company called level x which is this cool crazy mashup of like video games medical and crazy tech so We make games for doctors on mobile that are in different verticals. So it's like for GI doctors, um, pulmonologists, cardiologists. And then we build these platforms. We have this cool tech. We're we're based in Unity, but we do a lot of custom shader work and soft body tissue and all this fluid dynamics Mm -hmm. and all this crazy shit. And then um, we build these audiences on our platforms. And then we partner with companies in the life sciences space. Mm -hmm. It's a startup. I love Zynga to go there just under three years ago. And there's about a dozen or 14 of us. And now we're mm. almost a hundred people. We just moved third time into a bigger location. Oh, wow. We've got revenue. We've got VC money doing this weird mashup between video games and, and uh, doctors. That's seriously cool. Yeah. Check out the website. It's just levelex.com. And, um, Ah, that, that's very cool. Yeah, because I, yeah, I, I learned way more than I ever thought I would about hospitals and medicine from <laughs> writing for a, for a medical drama. So right, right. Like, you're around all that stuff, it. yeah. Yeah, so that it's still, um, that interest has lasted, stayed with me. So oh, that's very cool. So it was LevelEx. Yeah, LevelEx.com. And then if you look under news, we've been in Forbes, um, CNBC, 
Seagraph, we took second place in Seagraph. Our CEO was up there showing our tech and like what we do. And CEO is a graphics engineer by trade. I'm just, I'm just looking through at the same time at these, um, the descriptions of the apps you're making. Mm -hmm. that's, that's seriously cool. Yeah. And I heard of, uh, there was a game called Remission, which was a kind of 3D action adventure where your cancer, shot. right? Yeah. Cancer cells. Yeah. 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 The Maru Nihone who, who you know, headed up Guardian, mm -hmm. her first big project was Sparks, which was actually a fantasy role-playing game for to help teenagers with depression. And it hmm. had clinical trials and ended up in the, the British Medical Journal. Yeah. Something like that as well. And yeah. So she, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do feel, yeah, I've felt for a long time that there, there has always been that potential with games and I've kind of been part of some projects that have kind of you know making headway but it's all been fairly low tech so seeing what you guys doing are doing here that's that's very cool well cool cool man hey yeah hey, well it's been a real pleasure thanks thanks John. yeah it's been a pleasure uh, yeah thank you thanks for listening to this episode of game dev advice the game developers podcast go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes please also check out the new patreon page at patreon.com backslash game dev advice have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show again that's patreon.com backslash game dev advice thanks again for listening and being part of the show take care bye-bye our kids have said to us since we've moved to minnesota we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.